Yeah. Wait a minute. Am I, I thought, am I not, we're not showing a bumper video? Okay, hold on just a minute. Okay, so we're ready? All right. What? Who's going to count me down? All right, go ahead. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are uh, at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online, and those who will be watching by television. We are so glad that you joined us today. You know, the only predictable thing about life is that it is totally unpredictable. You live long enough, you'll find out that's true. And there are certain things that you really don't know what you're getting into until you get into them. For example, if you're married, you know that's true. Because one thing is marriage. You really don't know what you're getting. I don't care how long you date, how long you go together. You really don't know what you're getting until you actually finally get married. Well, the other is having children. You really don't know what you're getting into. You have that first child. You know, I remember when we had our first son. We've got three. And I remember when we had our first son, James. And I was just naive enough to think that, you know, raising a child and being a parent just can't be that hard. I mean, it just cannot be that difficult because I, I grew up watching all kinds of people raise kids. Smart people do it. Not so smart people do it. People who have college degrees do it. People who didn't even finish high school do it. Rich people raise kids. Poor people raise kids. So I'm thinking to myself, I mean, how hard can this child raising deal really be? So we brought James home, and I remember thinking as, as I even walked through the door, you know, this is going to be as simple as ABC, one, two, three. You know, you, you, you feed him, you change his diapers, you put him down for naps. He'll grow up after a little while, and then things will get so much easier, right? He'll still feed himself, he'll change his own clothes, and he doesn't need naps. Now, one little change of that, even after they get grown, you, you still feed them, okay? But that said... I read something the other day that I wish somebody had told me earlier in life, and I wish somebody had told me before I started having kids, and this is what I read. Life is hard, but it's even harder when you're stupid. And you know, that's true. It's even harder when you're stupid. I learned the hard way that good things never come easy. And let me just say this to you. We're in a series on parenting, as you know, and, and I want to make sure you understand that good families don't just happen. Good marriages don't just happen. Good relationships and friendships don't just happen. And good children don't just happen. Just as it takes tremendous hard work to have a good marriage, it takes tremendously hard work to raise a child. We're in a series, and I'm glad if you've joined us today, that uh, we're really enjoying it. I'm having a good time doing it. It's kind of a difficult series for me. We've, we, we're calling it, you know, Don't Make Me Come Back There. But you know what the truth of the matter is? I don't care how, how good your kids are or how good a parent you are. There are times we all have to go back there, right? I mean, that's just our job as a parent. It comes with the territory. And so often I get asked this question by parents. They'll say, can you recommend a good book on parenting? Now, you can imagine, uh, and I don't say this to brag, but you can imagine how many books I have in my library and how many books over the year that I've read on parenting. And I do have some very good books, but I am absolutely convinced now that I have brought up three children, 
all of whom made me very proud to be their dad. I am convinced that the book that I'm holding in my hand right here is the greatest book on parenting that ever has been written, that ever could be written, and that ever will be written. And after all, it ought to be, and here's why. It was written by the first parent and the only perfect parent who has ever had children, the creator of the universe. I'm talking about God himself. Every other parent that had a child had imperfect children because they weren't perfect either. But our God was the perfect parent. And just as our heavenly father wants what is best for his children and for his children to turn out well, guess what? God knows we want that for our kids. We want our kids to be the best they can be. We want to do our best for our kids. We want our kids to turn out well. Well, today, we're going to look at just one biblical verse in particular, and it may be the most well-known verse that parents look to, in fact, even cling to, as children get older and they begin to struggle through doubt and disobedience, but it's also a very misunderstood verse. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you have an iPhone or an iPad or whatever it is you might use, use I want you to turn to a book. It's, it's actually a book that was written by the wisest man who ever lived named Solomon. It's called Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Now, as we look at this proverb, I want to remind you of something, and this is very important. This is a proverb, and a lot of people misunderstand what a proverb is. A proverb is not so much a promise or a guarantee that something will always happen. It's, it's a principle that describes, by and large, this is generally what will happen. So if you're very familiar with the Bible, or even if you're just a little familiar with the Bible, I bet you I can just read the first three or four words of this verse, and you either know it by heart, or you're going to go, oh yeah, I've heard that many times before. This is the verse we're looking at in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, whatever else that verse teaches, let's, let's already get one thing settled today, okay? Whatever else that verse teaches, there's one big assumption that that verse carries with it. And that is, whatever that verse teaches, whatever that verse says, it only says for those who train their children. If you're not really in the business of proactively trying to train your children, this verse does not apply to you, much less to your kids. Everything rises and falls on that one word, train. This proverb is only for those who train their children and who teach them and who train them to be trainable and teach them to be teachable. It is not for parents who are laissez-faire, who are too busy at their job, who don't want to fool with their kids, who don't want to get involved in their lives, who don't want to be proactive in their training, who just want to let the pastor and the Bible study teacher or the Christian school teacher or the school or whatever, they just kind of let them kind of raise their kids for them. These are for parents who say, no, this is my job. This is my responsibility. I'm going to train my kids. So if you're one of these parents that say, well, I'm just going to kind of let my kids live their own life. I'm going to kind of let them believe what they want to believe. I'm not going to try to train them and teach them. And I'm not going to try to take them where I really believe they need to go early in life. This verse is not for you. However, I don't believe that's true for most parents who are listening to this message. So what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who wrote this is advocating, is that every child ought to go through basic training. 
There are certain things that every parent should train up their child to do and to be. There are certain things that every parent should give their child from an early age that will give them the best chance to go the way they should go. And if they stray from that way, to motivate them to come back to the way that they were trained. So what I want to do today in a super practical message is I just want to share with you a few things that every parent should give every child from the time that they're born. I want to share with you the best way to train up your child, okay? First of all, train your children with personal affection. And by the way, I put this first on purpose. This is foundational to everything else I'm going to say. Train up your child with personal affection. Now, any good teacher knows this. Before you can train anybody to do anything or to teach anyone to learn anything, you've got to put that person in a frame of mind where they want to be trained and they want to be taught. And even more than that, you've got to put them in a position where they want you to do the training and they want you to do the teaching. And far too many parents fail to understand this has nothing to do with a child's aptitude. It has everything to do with a child's attitude. See, before you can train up your child, parents, you've got to be the kind of mom and the kind of dad that so loves your child and so has, has such a relationship with your child, they want to be trained by you. They want to be taught by you. And the first step to making that happen is loving your child. Now, I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it again. I've said it in this series. I'm, I'm candid with you, and I'm being just transparent. I would give anything to have my dad days to do over again. I made so many mistakes as a dad. I've got regrets as a dad, and I would love to have that part of my life to do over again. And, and, and let me just tell you, every parent's going to have regrets because nobody's perfect. I don't care how much time you spent with your kids. You'll wish you spent more time. I don't care how much time you talk to your kids. You'll wish you talked to your kids more. I don't care how much you do with your kids or how many trips you take with your kids. You will wish you had gone more with them and taken more trips with them. That's just life. That's just the way things go. But what I want you to understand is that, that there's one area of your life where you don't have to have any regrets. There, there is one area that I can, by the grace of God, say, I made sure that I did for my kids. There is one message that with God's help, I never failed to send to my boys and don't fail to do so now. And I believe, by the way, what I'm about to share with you is the single most important thing any parent will ever communicate to their children. I believe it this strongly. Outside of leading your child to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the single most important message you will ever give to your child, the single most important thing you will ever do for that child is to communicate something that it will be so rooted, so deep in their heart and their mind and their soul that no matter what happens in their life, they know they can cling to that one thing. They know that no matter what else happens in life, that one thing will be true to them and true about them. And this is the message you need to communicate loudly and clearly. I love you no matter what. No matter what. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. I don't care where you fail. I don't care how badly you perform. I love you no matter what. You can't do anything so bad it'll make me love you less than I love you now. And you can't do anything so good it'll make me love you more than I love you now. I love you no matter what. And listen, take my word for it. Every parent will get a God-given opportunity to communicate that to your child. 
I don't care how good your children are. It doesn't matter. You're going to get your shot. You're going to get your chance to show your children in an unmistakable way, unmistakable way that your love for them is absolutely unconditional no matter what they do, no matter how much they may disappoint you. And you need to communicate that from the time that they are born. Now, having said that, there are two ways to love your child. And both of them are crucially and equally important. And here are the two ways, okay? You've got to say it and show it. You got to do it by words. You got to do it by actions. I believe the sweetest music to the ears of a child is when that dad or that mom says, I love you. Let me just tell you about my relationship with my dad. I love my dad dearly. Uh, my, my dad was my best man in my wedding, and, and, and I love my dad, and I miss my dad. And in so many ways, I had a great dad. I wouldn't trade him for any other dad in the world. And my dad loved me. And my dad told me he loved me. However, he never initiated telling me he loved me. My dad on his own never said he loved me. He would always tell me he, he loved me in response to me telling him that I loved him. But he never initiated those words. And that used to really bother me until I found out why. His mother, my grandmother, lived to be 99 years of age. In 99 years, almost a century of life, now think about this. My grandmother never told my dad she loved him one time. My grandmother never put a loving arm around my dad. My grandmother never hugged my dad. I never saw my grandmother kiss my dad. I never showed my grandmother show any affection to my dad whatsoever. The first time that any mother ever put her arm around my dad and told him that she loved him was his mother-in-law, my other grandmother. And, and, and my dad told me something one time, and the first time he told me, it really bothered me. And then I, then I really began to understand as I grew older. He said, I love my mother-in-law more than I love my mother. And I understood it because his mother really never showed or said to him she loved him where my grandmother did it all the time. Now, you may find it hard to do. There may be some of you men out there, and maybe you were just reared in a different home, or maybe you're a military man, or maybe you just kind of grew up and you got this macho picture of what a man ought to be. And maybe you're sitting there and you're going, oh, man, I just, I, I, it's just so hard for me to do that. Let me tell you something. Man up and do it. You, you can do it. You can say those words. And I'm telling you, they're music to a children's ears. Say it to them. Tell them and tell them often. And then you show them. And you show it so they will know it. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, there are two things you got to do to show that you, you really do love your kids. There are two things they need. They need touch and they need time. They need touch and they need time. They need physical affection, arm around the shoulder, a hug, a kiss on the cheek. By the way, my boys, they know it. They'll never get too old for me to hug them and kiss them. They'll never get too old to hug me and to kiss me. And all of those are simply deposits you're putting in the bank of the heart of your child. And you see, when you touch that child and you put your arm around that child and you kiss that child and you hug that child and you physically show affection to that child, here's what you're doing. You're putting a security blanket around them. 
They know no matter what their friends think about them, no matter what their peers think about them, no matter what their schoolmates or, 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 or the next door neighbor or somebody they think's a big deal thinks about them, they know that they have your love around them everywhere they go. I'll tell you what, I guarantee you this is true. If you look back at your education, you will find, if you'll examine it, you'll find that the teachers that taught you the best loved you the most. The teachers that taught you the best loved you the most. How much truer is that of our own children? Train your child, train your child with personal affection. Here's the second way to train your child. You train your child through careful correction. Careful correction. Listen again to carefully now to whom we're dealing with in this verse. He says, train up a child. This is very important. He's very specific in the stage of life he's talking about. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, in the Hebrew language, that word child refers to a small child. We're, we're, what we're talking about here are children, they don't yet know right from wrong. They, they don't know yet, you know, what proper manners are at the table. They, they just don't know very much about, about anything. Uh, we're talking about a child who's kind of in the same position as someone who's, they've just enlisted in the military. Or they've just gone to a brand new job and they've never ever done either one of those things before. If you join the military, you know the first thing you go through? Basic training. If you go to a new job, what's the first thing a good company will do? They'll put you through basic training. And so there are two parts that have to always take place in that training. If you're going to train your child up through careful correction, you've got to do two things. And by the way, the second thing I think is even more important than the first one. Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to correct what is done wrong. When your child does wrong or they speak wrong or they act wrong, you've got to correct what is done wrong. Now, you remember, we just talked about loving children. Now, let me just say this, parents. One of the ways that you love your child is correct your child. One of the ways that you love a child is you discipline your child. You know, there, there's another proverb that Solomon wrote that's also very familiar to us. And I know you've heard this one before, uh, but he's wrote this, this in, in Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, let me just say this, and I've been guilty of this myself. Too many parents spoke, uh, uh, focus on the word rod. That's not where the focus of the verse is. The focus of the verse is on the word love. This is a, not a discipline verse. This is a love verse. There's only one way that correction should be given to a child, and that is love. Your children, when you correct them, when you discipline them, they've got to know more importantly than the way you're doing it, the why you're doing it. They've got to know he's doing this because he loves me. He's doing this because he wants what's best for me. She is doing this because she knows I'm better than this and she wants me to be better than this. And she does this because she cares about me. The motive is always love. It's not anger. It's not getting even. It's not carrying out your wrath. And I've been guilty of those things. I'm guilty of them. That's not why you do it. It's out of love. But at the same time, it is necessary. Now, having said that, let me tell you a mistake that we all probably have made as parents. I hate to put you all in the box with me, but I'm going to assume you've made this mistake as well. I can just tell you that I did, and I'm guilty of it. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, and I, I made this mistake, and it's foolish, okay? Never discipline children because they act like children. Can I tell you one of the dumbest things I used to say to my kids when they were kids? Will you quit acting like a kid? <laughs> They're kids. 
Kids act like kids because they're kids. For example, there's one thing that's happened in every family in the history of the world. A child is going to knock his glass of milk over. Just, you can take it to the bank, bet the house on it. They're going to knock their milk over. And oh, by the way, you know what's worse? Let me tell you this. Not only is that child going to knock his milk, let's just say he's a son. Not only is your son going to knock his glass of milk over, can I tell you what else is going to happen? He's going to laugh at his sister when she knocks her glass of milk over. I mean, you just kind of put that down. Well, you don't discipline that. That's just a child acting like a child. You say, okay, then I got a question for you, doc. When should a child be disciplined? When should I correct and discipline my child? You ready for this? You're going to love this. You discipline a child when they start acting like a bad adult, okay? That's when you discipline a child, when they start acting like a bad adult. There's another proverb Solomon wrote, and it says this in Proverbs 29. He said, the rod and, the re- and reproof, that is, you know, the rod of correction and a word of discipline gives wisdom, but a child, and so many parents do this, left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself brings shame. What does that mean? A child left to himself. A child that's left to himself, that means you leave him in the condition when he was born. How are children born? They're born with a sinful nature. They're, they're, they're born with a selfish heart. They're born to want, to want their way. They're, they're, they're born to, to take from other people. And because and, and we're, we're all born that way. And it's not hard to care about more about ourselves than we do about others. Why is that not hard? Because we're born that way. So he says, don't leave a child to himself. Don't leave a child in the way he was born. So what do you do? Well, let's go back to our main verse. He says, train up a child. Now watch this. In the way he should go. Now, here's what Solomon is saying. Mom, you're the hammer. Dad, you're the pliers. You're tools in the hands of God. And God wants to use you to direct that child from where he would go if you leave him on his own to where he should go. Because understand this. Every child that's born is born headed in the wrong direction. Every child that is born is born going the wrong way on a one-way street. And out of love, we are to correct our children, and we're to turn them from the wrong direction to the right direction. Now, again, I'm just helping you here because I made the mistake. This is where parents make a big mistake. Because remember, I told you there are two parts to correcting your child. We've already talked about one. One is correcting your child when they do wrong. And you have to do that. We, we told you last week, you, you, you've got to learn, teach your children that you know bad actions have bad consequences. That's a part of learning how to live life and live life in the right way. But that is really the least important part of, of correcting your child. There's a part that's far more important than correcting your child when they do what's wrong. We need to learn to cheer what is done right. Your main job is not to discourage your child. It is to encourage your child. Listen, I've seen parents, and I bet you've seen them too, and you may be one. I have seen parents who only notice the things their kids do when they do something wrong. I I, I mean, I've seen it. 
By the way, have you ever stopped to think about why some kids end up doing a lot of bad things? You ever stop? I'm not trying to make excuses. There's no excuse for a kid doing bad things. That's not my point. But have you ever thought about why some kids just always are doing bad things? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe it's the only way they get any attention because they've learned that the only time anybody ever notices them, especially their parents, is when they do something they shouldn't do? So I, I just want to exhort all of us who are parents, spend more time, not less, spend more time on focusing on when your kids do what's right and commending them for doing what's right. One of the most successful businessmen in America some of you will know his name. His name is Rich DeVos. Rich DeVos is the founder of Amway, one of the most successful businesses in American history. Rich DeVos was in a, in a group of businessmen who came together for a conference. He was the keynote speaker, and he was once asked this fantastic question. Here was the question they asked him. What is the most important management skill you learned in the process of building the Amway company? Great question. What is the most important, most important management skill you learn in the process of building the Amway company? Well, you can imagine. Everybody's on the edge of their seat, right? I mean, they got pen. They're ready to write. They want to know what his secret is. Listen to this. He said, the most important management skill I learned was how to be a cheerleader. <laughs> wow. Most important management skill I learned. The way I built a billion-dollar business was learning to be a cheerleader. Let me tell you something, parents. Your child's biggest cheerleader, listen, from the time they are born to the time you die, your child's biggest cheerleader ought to be you. That should never change no matter how old they get. It should never change whether they're playing Little League Baseball, putting a puzzle together, getting a college degree, running a business, or even raising their own family. That's why I call this careful correction. You correct them when they're wrong. You cheer them when they're right. Do more cheering than you do correcting and do it out of the motive of love. And I'm telling you, parent, it never gets old to a child. When I was elected the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is such a tremendous honor, and I don't say that to brag. I say it humbly. I still can't believe to this day that an old country boy from Oakwood, Georgia, got elected to be the president of the largest evangelical denomination in the world. But I cannot tell you what made me so proud was to, have, to see how proud it made my mother of me and to see how much it meant to her and to have her cheer me on and to have her brag about what God had done in my life. It never gets old. So you train your child personal affection. You train your child careful correction. And then here's the last thing. You train your child by spiritual direction. You train your child by spiritual direction. Now, let's go a little deeper to that phrase, okay? Because this phrase is really, really pregnant with meaning. He says, train up a child. Now, that word train actually carries with it, by the way, two different meanings. One word for train means to dedicate. Our number one job as parents, make sure that our children have a personal relationship with God. Make sure we understand from the time that child comes out of that womb, it's really not my child, Lord, it's your child. Child really doesn't belong to me, the child really belongs 
to you. From childbirth, we dedicate them to the Lord. We give them to God and we give God to them because that's our primary role. I'm going to say this for the third message in a row. That's your job. It's not the primary job of the church. It's not the primary job of a Christian school. That is our job. And the greatest way that you're to do that is by teaching your children the word of God and giving them the desire to feed on the word. Now, another, that, that phrase train up also has another meaning, which is also kind of cool. It's actually an agricultural term. And it was used to causing a tree or a vine to grow in a particular shape or direction. Uh, years ago, this has been about, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago now. I had the privilege at the time, the church I was pastoring, I took our staff down. We went down to Disney World and, 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 and we got into this executive program where you could go backstage at Disney World and you could see how they operated that unbelievably magnificent theme park. Now, if you've ever been to Disney, and most of us have, and, and if you don't, you need to get saved. But if you've ever been to Disney, you know that, that you, you go there and you see these fascinating shrubs and they're shaped like animals and all these fantasy characters. As a matter of fact, you, we're gonna, we're, you'll see some pictures up on the screen right now of some of these, these bushes. And, and, and so it's a really cool thing to look at. But then they explained how these bushes are formed. Those bushes don't just happen. Over a 10 to 15 year period of time, those bushes are planted. Then as they begin to grow, they're shaped, they're pruned, they're trimmed, and they're trained in the way they should go. Some parts are removed, other parts are cultivated and nourished, some parts are trimmed away, and finally, the entire plant grows into a wire mesh that's in the shape of that animal they want that bush to take, and it just grows the way it's supposed to grow, and it goes the way it's supposed to go, but you know what they said to us? We have to do that when the bush is first planted. If you wait too late, the bush takes a mind of its own, and it's much harder to do. That's the word that Solomon uses here. It tells us how to start with this child in giving him or her spiritual direction. As a matter of fact, let me tell you about the root word of this meaning. This is really interesting to me. If you go back to the root word of the Hebrew word for train up, it literally means the palate, the palate, the top of your mouth, the roof of your mouth. It means literally to develop a thirst. Here's the picture. Back in Bible days, they had what they called midwives, particularly the Hebrews. If you remember, Moses was delivered by a Hebrew midwife. Well, they had midwives, and so they would deliver the baby, and it was their job to kind of get that baby ready to, to really start living like a baby. So they, they would take what they would do to get that baby to, to have an appetite. They would take olive oil, or they would take crushed dates. They would put it into a bowl. They would dip their finger in it. Then they would rub the roof or the palate of that mouth and the gums of the baby with that flavor, and it would create this sucking response. And what they were doing was creating a thirst and a desire for that baby to eat. It gave them a hunger to eat. Now, when you realize what that word train up means, then you get it. Our job as parents is to develop in our children a hunger, a thirst, a taste a desire for God and for God's word and for God's truth and to have a desire to love God and obey God and know God and worship God and follow God. And let me just say this to you parents. You will never force feed your children the word of God. 
You, you'll never cram it down their throats. That's why you've got to start early teaching them the excitement of Bible stories, teaching them there's so much, there's so much to learn about God and so much to learn about life and so much to learn about how to be joyful and happy and so much to learn on how to be the best you can, you can be when you study the Word of God. We're soon beginning construction right over here on a brand new children's facility because of your gifts to be more. We're going to provide one of the finest children facilities you'll find anywhere in any church. And when you see it, you'll understand something. We believe that it ought to be fun for your kids to study the Bible. We believe that your kids ought to have a desire to study God's Word. And we believe that we ought to find the most creative ways we can to get God's truth into your kids' hearts. That's why we're building that building. That's why we're partnering with you parents to make your job easier. Because the number one goal of our preschool and children's ministry is to give your children a thirst and a hunger for God and for God's Word. We're trying to tickle the roof of their mouth. We're trying to give them that desire to say, I want more. I want to know more about God. I want to learn more about God. Now, what is the purpose of all this training? What, what, is the, what is the end goal of all this? Here it is. You train up a child in the way he should go. Well, what way is that? Well, the whole book of Proverbs, as you may or may not know, is about wisdom. And in the Bible, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing the will of God and doing it. Wisdom is knowing God and knowing God's truth and finding God's will and doing it. Because the way we should go is the way God wants us to go. The way a child should go is God's way. Why? Because we're all born to go our own way. But our job is to train children to go in the way they should go, not in the way that they want to go. You say, okay, I've got a question, all right? So how do you know when you know that your children have gotten it. How do you really know as a parent, hey, it's working? How do you know as a parent, I really believe I'm getting the hang of this. I really believe that I'm training my child to go in the way that child should go. How do I know that I've gotten it? How do I know that I'm really there? All right, here's, here's the test. It is when they want to go the way they should go. When your children and your middle schooler and your teenager begins to make right before your very eyes the very decisions you know that you would want them to make and the very decisions you know that God would want them to make. When they want to go the way they should go, then you'll know they've got it. Now, so many parents cling to the last part of this verse. I can't tell you how many times I've had parents tell me this. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what I'm about to say, for some of you parents, may be the most important part of this entire message. Because you've got a prodigal child. You've got a son or a daughter, and they've departed from the way that you trained them. And you're frustrated, racked with guilt full of remorse, and you say, what did I do wrong? Well, first of all, remember, this is a proverb. A proverb is not so much a rigid promise as it is a reliable principle. 
A proverb is, is, is a matter of, of, of historical observation and experiential probability. In other words, as a matter of just observing most parents and, and as a matter of experience, the experience of most parents, when a child is trained the way they should go, if that training is done properly and consistently, usually it brings positive results. Usually they'll go the way they should go. So generally speaking, even though our children may stray away at times from God, they'll never ever totally go away from God if they truly know God. Now, let me just tell you something I absolutely believe, and I believe the Bible teaches this absolutely crystal clearly. I absolutely believe that a person who truly loves Jesus and has truly experienced Jesus will never completely turn his back on Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. I believe that a person who truly loves Jesus and has truly experienced Jesus will never completely turn his back on Jesus, never. But this is why I need some of you now to listen very carefully. There are some of you, and this verse has become a sledgehammer of guilt because your kids have gone astray. Your kids took an off-ramp. Your kids have walked away. You have that prodigal child. And you wonder what you did wrong. Hear me. This is a principle. It's not a hard and fast promise as much as it is a principle. You know why? Listen carefully. There are exceptions to the rule. You ought to train up a child in the way they should go. But it doesn't mean it's the way they will always go. You know why? Because kids have a mind of their own. And the greatest example of this you will ever hear is this one. God did a perfect job of training up his children the way they should go, and they didn't go the way they should go. I mean, think about this. Think about all the things you tell your kids not to do. Think about all the places you tell your kids not to go. Tell about all the kinds of people you tell your kids not to hang out with. You know what God did? God puts his kids in a perfect environment and says, just don't do one thing. And what's the one thing they did is the one thing he told them not to do. And he's the perfect parent. The truth of the matter is this. Bad parents sometimes turn out good kids. And good parents sometimes turn out bad kids. Because there's only one thing, mom and dad, that you're in control of. There's only one thing. That you teach, what you teach, and how you teach. That's all you can control. But see, there is hope in this verse. This verse does say, if your children were trained like they should have been trained, if with God's help you did your best, if you did all you could both to model in your own life and teach your, children, your kids what they should know about God, if that child truly received, not just in his head, but in his heart, a God who loves them, who created them, and who wants what is best for them, then most likely they won't depart from their basic training. That is the promise of a father who loves your kids more than you do and proved it by sending his kid, his son Jesus, to die for all of us and come back from the dead that all of us could have the chance 
the hope, and even the guarantee to be everything that he wants us to be. Let's pray together. With his bowed, with eyes closed, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving, no one stirring. Listen. God wants to train us up, every one of us. And you, ever get, you never get too old to get trained by God. You know, basic training never ends if you know God. You're always in basic training. And you know what God has tra- wants to train us up to do? To love his son, Jesus Christ. That's lesson number one. He wants you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to worship Jesus, to obey Jesus, 